0: Hey, it's great to see you guys. It's just a huge honor to be here at Edgewater this morning. Super excited about it. And as uh, Matt just said, I am very boisterous. And so uh, I'm going to live up to that this morning. But uh, I've known Matt for a lot of years. You guys have a great pastor. Matt is a great man of God. And yeah, right on. And uh, he's uh, an incredible uh, incredible Bible teacher. Um, I'm a little rough around the edges uh, on the other hand, but I'm really excited to be here and really excited to worship the Lord with you. So let's pause before we just continue to worship in the word and uh, let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that you love us the way you do. Uh, we are super honored and super rich to know you, to know that we've been adopted into your family, that you've taken up residence in our life, that you have filled us with your spirit that, Lord, you've given us a purpose in this life to just bring honor to you and 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 glorify your name. That's our purpose. You've given us a mission to be about the business of your kingdom, Lord, making disciples. And so we're just really grateful that we're not wandering around trying to figure out life, but, Lord, you've given us life, and you're the source of our life. And so we desire, Lord, just to continue to worship you, not just in the songs that we've sung or in the prayers that have ascended, but, Lord, now as we posture ourselves. Lord, to hear your word and to be responders to it. Because, Lord, we don't want to be people that just gain knowledge. We want to be changed. And I know for me, I need changing. I need to be conformed into the image of Christ daily. And so we posture ourselves in an attitude of worship, just saying, Lord, the things that your spirit speaks this morning, we're in, we're all in. And we give you praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen, right on. Well, hey, if you could grab your Bibles or open up your Bible apps on your devices and turn to uh, the book of Revelation, uh, we are going to go through the whole book of Revelation in the next half an hour. (laughs) Actually, Revelation chapter two, Revelation chapter two. Um, Jesus is sending a message to the church, and he's using this old man, John, John's in his late 90s right now. He's one of the apostles. He's the only one left alive. All the other apostles have died off. They've been martyred, Less Judas, he hung himself. But, but uh, the, 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 John's in this posture of, of uh, late in life, just really refining his message. And uh, he became known as the apostle of love. And uh, he would uh, oftentimes, late in his life, he would go and, into the synagogue and he would preach the gospel and he would get up in the pulpit and he would make the proclamation, listen, children, love each other. And really, that was the essence of his message. And, and now John is late in life. Uh, he had been tried to be killed by uh, those that were trying to snuff out Christianity later in the first century, and he had been actually put in a vat of oil to be killed, to, to be boiled in oil, and miraculously God spared him. Now he's been exiled onto this island called Patmos, and he's there, and it's on the Lord's Day, and he's he's just worshiping the Lord. Old man, he's worshiping the Lord, and he and he receives this vision from Jesus. And that vision is what we know as the apocalypse or the or the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he receives this, this vision and 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 Jesus begins to uh, speak to the churches in chapter two. It's kind of the first thing that he does. He goes, I want you to bring a message to the church, John, and I want you to write these things down, and and the first church that he wants to bring a message to is the, the church at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was this huge Mediterranean port city about 200 to, uh, 250 to 300,000 residents in this region and it was really an immoral city. It was a it was a place where it was extremely sexually driven culture. It was a culture that probably was something like our Super Bowl halftime show. And and um and that's kind of the essence of the culture of the day. And they had in the center of this, this metropolis, they had this place called the Agora, which was really a big flea market. It was just a huge place where people would come and gather and you could get food there and you could get entertained there. And it was just a, it was like a football field by a football field. It was a huge area with columns all the way around it. And it was, a, it was just kind of the social center, the market center. It was a place where there was just global and local Local merchandise that could be purchased there, and so you could get anything from spices to monkeys to anything that you could think of. You know, any kind of fair. Um, you could actually, if you had your uh, needed a tent, or maybe you needed your tent repaired, you could go to the tent repair shop there. And there was a guy there by the name of Paul the Apostle uh, that was there for a short time, and that was his little marketplace there. And and so you could you could also sell your children. At the Agora, you could buy slaves or prostitutes at the Agora. And right behind it was this huge temple to Artemis, and it was just this, this uh, seventh wonder of the ancient world. It was just this incredible place. And so people would come from all over the known area to come and see the temple and buy little, you know, carved out silver gods and, 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 and uh, stone gods. And it was a place of just where, where people would come, but, but it, was a, it was kind of the epicenter of entertainment and the epicenter of, uh, of prosperity. And Jesus tells John, I want you to bring a message to that church. I want you to write it down I want you to, to, to bring that message and it says in verse one of, of Revelation chapter two, write this letter to the angel of the church or the messenger of the church in Ephesus. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I'll cross, cross-reference other translations. And this is the message from the one, Christ, who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks amongst the lampstands, the gold lampstands. And that was clarified on what that exactly was. But he's saying, uh, in the previous chapter, but he's saying, listen, I want you to send this message to the messenger there in Ephesus, be it an angel, be it the pastor of the church there. Either way, the message is from Jesus and he's saying that the church, those that are the, the seven stars that were defined in the previous chapter as the church, he says, I want you, listen, I want you to bring that message to them and let them know I've got him in my hand. It says there in chapter, verse one, it says that they, he holds the seven stars in his right hand. And that's significant because the right hand in scripture is always, no matter where you see it from beginning to end, the right hand of God, the right hand of man, it's always that arm of authority and strength and power. In other words, God is saying, I've got the church in my hand. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter how well or not well we performed this week, God has got us in his hand. And he's not going to let us go. And that's very important for us to understand that God doesn't embrace us when we're doing well and then cast us aside when we're not. Otherwise, we would be all over the charts in our relationship with God. One day we'd be close to him, the next day far away. But he's got us in his right hand and he's never gonna let us go no matter how well or not well we've performed. He loves his church without condition. And it's a good thing because I can rise every morning and know I'm loved by God and it's not predicated upon how well I performed yesterday. Because at best, my failure was really bad yesterday. But he loves me because of who he is and he's got me. And in verse two he says, I know all the things that you do. And I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. And I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but they're not. And you've discovered that they are liars and you've patiently suffered for me without quitting. Jesus now begins to tell the church, I applaud you. Good job. You guys are doing really well. And and he says, I know everything that you do, I see everything that you do. There's nothing that gets by me. I understand everything that's going on in your heart, I know you well. And he says very clearly, I know all the things that you do. Man, that's really comforting to me. When I know I've been misunderstood. You ever been misunderstood? Probably not. <laughs> you married? Anybody married here? You ever been misunderstood in marriage? It wasn't that long ago, my wife and I were sitting out um, in our kitchen area and we've got this, this big glass window that looks out over the property there. We live out in the sticks. We live way out in the middle of nowhere. Out in Rouge or rutch, or whatever you want to call it. And, 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 and um, we're right in the middle of the forest and, and there's a bunch of oak trees like right behind our property. And, uh, and, and it's real often that the deer will just kind of come moving through there and sometimes cougars, coyotes, there's all kinds of stuff out there. And, but we like to sit there in the early morning and just kind of watch the animals cruising through. What, you know, who knows what we're gonna see. And so we're watching and whenever a really big buck comes rolling through our property, at the time of year where their antlers are in the full, you know, um, it's, a, it's a sight, you know. And so we're watching and we're looking. There's some does out there. They're eating the acorns and they're, you know, and all that. And then my wife, she's gonna get ready to leave. And so she goes and jumps in the shower and I'm just sitting there finishing my coffee and just kind of, th- and sure enough, this huge, massive buck comes walking into the property up there and I can see it and it's, just, it's, it's, it's majestic. And I, I, I love big bucks and I love them even better in my freezer, but I, I, love, I love big bucks. And, and so I thought, well, Marine's going to want to see this because this is the biggest one we've ever seen. So I go and I roll the door open to the bathroom and I kind of just poke my head in and say, honey, I see a huge buck and, and, and then I just close the door thinking, okay, she's gonna probably get dried off quickly and come out and check it out, right? And so she doesn't. Well, all right, well, you know, she's busy, and she's gonna, you know. And, and, and so another 20 minutes go by or so, and finally I go into my study, and I'm just kind of getting prepared for the day, and, and Maureen comes in, and guys, you know, something's not right, right? I mean, you just know. Just, there's just something is not right. And so you should never ask, but I did. Honey, everything good, you know, all all well? And she's like, no. And I'm like, all right, and I'm, you know, I'm going through the, like, okay, what, let me, I'm reviewing from the time I woke up, you know, okay. Because there's something clearly I didn't get along this journey. And she says, she goes, seriously, she goes, Jim, it's just so unlike you. I'm like. And she said, for you just out of the blue to roll the door back and, 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 and put your head into the bathroom and say, I see a huge butt. <laughs> and so now, now I'm in that moment of, okay, my wife, she thinks that I just committed like the unpardonable sin and told told her that she has a gigantuan butt. And, and so I'm thinking, I better get this right. I'm gonna get one chance to respond to this properly or it's gonna be a life of penance. And, and so I'm thinking it through and I'm thinking, honey, you know, uh, God knows everything. Right here, it says it. And God knows everything and, and before God, I, and, and, and my decision at that point was just to start laughing. Uh, right or not, right or wrong, it was, a, it was a huge risk. But I started laughing and then described to her what happened. And then, of course, we both figured it out and we both laughed until we cried. And, and, uh, but God, he, he, I'm so thankful that he knows my heart. And I'm so grateful that wh- whether it be conversation or whether it's just life in general, God knows. He sees everything, good and bad. He's our defense, but also he's our holiness. And he sees all. And he cares about us all. And he commends us. And there's five things that he commends us in, in these next, or in those verses. And first of all, he commends the church for their hard work. He says, I see the hard work that you're doing. All of them. And I applaud that. Because you know what? Being a part of the church, it's hard work. Let's just call it what it is. It's hard work. At the end of the day, we're tired, man. We, you know, we don't necessarily, you know, in our flesh, want to go help or want to go be involved or, or whatever it may be. It's hard work getting up early and getting engaged in the in the work of the. You know, it's hard to be vulnerable to one another. It's hard to maintain relation. And and Jesus said, "I applaud that. I'm so thankful that you're doing that. I'm so glad that you have the grit." to be a part of the church. I'm so glad that you're taking care of the work of serving one another. Number two, he says, I'm grateful for your patient endurance. He says, I see that you're staying your course. You're staying on course, you're pressing on. You're not giving up. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, there's times on this journey where I feel like, man, I just don't wanna do this anymore, whatever it may be. I'm tired. And the Lord's saying, stay your course, Jim. Stay stay your course, don't give up. Don't give up in your marriage. Don't give up in your relationship with your kids. Don't give up in knowing that God is at work in your life. Don't give up in worshiping him. Man, keep the faith. And they survived the trouble and the pain of life that they were experiencing and he applauds them. Number three, he says, I'm so glad you're intolerant of evil people. You're intolerant of evil people. The church then, as well as the church today, needs to be a church that deals with those that are unruly or evil in their midst. And the early church did not allow evil and those that were of evil intent to infect the church. And the church has an obligation to deal with the evil within, those that are within that want to divide and cause problems and talk trash and all of that. He goes, I'm so glad that you guys are intolerant of evil people. Now listen, intolerance is really necessary in a civilized society. In other words, we are, as our, in our culture, we are intolerant of murder. Mur- murder is absolutely intolerable behavior. And there are laws that govern uh, our societal intolerance. And if you murder somebody, there's going to be consequences. Society has demanded that there's going to be um, punishment for that intolerable behavior. The same can be said for rape. The same can be said for incest and theft and kidnapping and drinking while under the influence. These are all extremely intolerant behaviors in a civilized society. And we are grateful. We are all grateful that there is an intolerance, an intolerance of certain behaviors in our culture. And without intolerance, we would, li- would live in absolute anarchy. We would live in absolute chaos without there being a certain level of intolerance. So intolerance is necessary for civility. And that intolerance culturally is governed by a moral code. However, civilized society also must not only be intolerant, but tolerant. We are a society that is tolerant of religion. In other words, you can choose your own religion. We are tolerant of lifestyle. We are tolerant of a free market. We're tolerant of diet and free speech. We're tolerant of of anybody exercising their constitutional rights. And we may may not like the fact that they uh, can live how they want to live. It may be different than how I want to live, but I'm sure glad that I can live how I wanna live. And that requires intolerance and tolerance. And so they're both foundational for freedom. And Jesus would say to the church, I commend you for being intolerant of, very specifically, evil people those that are coming in to harm the church and Edgewater, for you, for for us to have a, a secure and safe environment, we have chosen to be intolerant of evil people, those that have intent to harm. Just as we're intolerant if we're parents of anybody that would want to bring harm to our children. I'm intolerant if you want to come and and bring harm to my, my grandchildren. I've got two grandsons, one eight and one 10 years old. And I'm very intolerant of anybody that would want to come and bring harm to them. And so Jesus, he applauds the church and he says, there's a time for intolerance. And and that, that intolerance comes when there are those that desire to bring about division and strife and pain and suffering in the body of Christ. And he commends the church. Number four, he says, I'm really, really grateful that you guys discern false apostles or false teachers. Just as evil people should not be tolerated, Jesus says the same is true concerning false teachers. And once again, you guys are really rich to have a, a pastor in Matt Heverly and all the great staff here, Chad and, and Sean and, and Mark and all, all, so many of you that are guarding the flock when it comes to doctrine that are guarding the flock, saying, we are a people of the word of God. And and false teachers, they're like a cancer. If they are not cut out, if false teaching is not cut out of the church, eventually it's gonna fester, and eventually it's gonna kill. And so when people come into the church that are smooth talkers and smart, and yet their purpose is to bring about division, then they need to be called out, as the word says, as the liars that they are. And they must be confronted with the word of God in love, but by the word of God. The word of God is the filter for all things. It's the gold standard for everything. And if in that moment, those will not submit to the truth of God's word, well, they need to be dealt with. And discernment is really important here. And when someone wants to bring in occultic practices into the church and they want to mix false religions in the church and, and they want to minimize or illegitimize the atonement of Jesus Christ. Well, man, that needs to be called out and dealt with. And I'm really grateful that you guys are a people that are saying, you know what? We're standing firm on the word of God. We're standing firm on the truth. And Jesus commends you for that. He commended the church then and he commended, he never changes, he commends the church now. And says, good for you. Stay on guard there. And then fifthly, they patiently suffered for Christ without quitting. Now, the church there in Asia Minor, they had been scattered into that region earlier on in the first century through lots of persecution. Most of the church had family, children, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles that had died at the hands of martyrdom. They had been killed for their faith. There was a lot of bloodshed, a lot of suffering in the church. And Jesus commends them and says, man, I'm so grateful that you guys didn't cave under persecution, that you've you've stayed your course. And they suffered for their faith in Christ, but they never gave up. And they were commended by Jesus for their patient endurance and for their suffering of Christ. And then he says this in verse four. But, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. The church, and whenever there's, whenever Jesus is speaking to us or God is speaking to us by his word, and there's a warning, every disciple of Jesus should should absolutely take notice. I should sit up and take notice, like, whoa, okay, Jesus is talking now, and he's commending, and I like that, but then he says, but Jim, you've lost sight of the most important thing. It doesn't say that you don't love me anymore. He says, you just don't love me like you did, and you don't love others like you did. You you have begun, Jim, maybe to, over your your years and your time and your walk with the Lord, and you've begun to, to... to put love in the back seat behind service. And it's always, should be the other way around. It's love first, because if we don't have love, man, we've got nothing. And their church, even in the first century, it was a well-oiled machine, but it lacked the most important ingredient. And that was a serious, and is a serious indictment to me. Have I lost my first love over the years? Yes, I have in different times, in my journey, in my faith over the last 30-something years. Have there been seasons where, man, I was really engaged perhaps, but it was just because, well, that was my vocation, but I had lost really sensing the presence of God in my life. Have there been times along my journey where I've needed to hear this and take notice? Yes. And quite frankly, even now, a journey back to, Lord, you know what? I don't know if I do love you like I once did. I mean, I love you, that's not in question but is your love motivating me or am I motivated out of duty? Am I motivated to serve you because, well, <laughs> I'm the pastor of the church, you know, I gotta, I gotta show up, you know? I would never say that, so don't quote me on that, but, 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 you know, do I get there? Yes. And he says, Jim, be careful, because you are vulnerable to this same issue, the cares of the world, The deceptiveness of riches and the pride of life is always knocking at your door. And I have sat up and I'm taking notice. And then he would go on and say, listen, what you need to do is go back to where you last had it. What were you doing when you last experienced that love of Christ? When you last experienced that presence of Jesus in your life without thinking about it without being moved into a time of of perhaps worship in a church service but you just sense the presence of God what what were you doing hey let's go back to that return he would say return to that return to perhaps reading his word return to saying Lord I'm going to be engaged in service once again I'm going to help out once again I'm gonna love my brothers and my sisters in the church community by serving them, by giving, by, by, by being a generous prayer, by being a generous giver, by being a generous server, by singing praises. And maybe, maybe I was last really sensing the presence of God when I, was, when I was really proactively loving my neighborhood or loving my community, and I've kind of pulled back from that because I just get busy, you know, life is busy. And stuff happens, you know, and so I pull back and, and yet I'm clearly called to be Jesus to my community and love them proactively. And maybe I'm not in communion with or communication with my neighbors like I once was. Even the community, those in our community that have been tossed away by society Maybe I'm not, I used to reach them and I used to love them, but I, I, I've, I've pulled away. I, I don't really, I don't really love the homeless like I once did. We're, we're, Mountain Church is a very downtown church. I mean, we have a team that picks up needles before service, and I'm not kidding. I mean, we have people that go and look for needles around the community, but you have the same thing right here. It's all right. I mean, we're all, you know, we're, we're ministering to our community and those that are addicts and, and those that are sexually confused and those that are, that are homeless. And Jesus would be called a friend to our community. He was a friend of sinners, He was a friend of the prostitute, He was a friend of the thief and the liar. He was a friend of the immoral. He's, he's my friend. And Lord, I need to come back to that kind of love for you and let that motivate me And being generous in who I am. I wanna do those things again. I need to come back to him. And Jesus says, return. And then he would say, repent. And you know, when jesus calls the church to repent we got to we have to have it in our minds understand repentance is a beautiful thing repentance is not a dirty word a lot of times in the church i feel like we feel like you know repentance is oh that that guy that guy repented <laughs> man he must have done something really really trashy you know Whew, I'd like to find out his story he repented you know yeah and you know and, and really repentance should be a lifestyle for every disciple of Jesus and and what repentance is it's a changing of direction or i like to say a correcting of the course and say lord you know what if i've gotten off a few degrees that's the time to correct course not to wait till i'm going 180 degrees in the opposite direction but to say, you know what, I, for me to hit my mark, I need to stay right on course. I used to fish commercially and I started off the Pacific coast here and was out at sea out on the Pacific for a lot of years. And oftentimes when we would leave the west coast and we would make our chart, we, we, would, design, we would set our course for Honolulu, we would leave Moss Landing or Coos Bay or you know anywhere up and down the west coast of San Pedro and we would make our journey across the Pacific and we were gonna be out for a couple of weeks before we hit the islands. And so we would get out and we would set our course, we would set our charts and we'd set our course and we'd lock in our autopilot, but we had to constantly, constantly, day and night, go back to that compass and reset our course. Why? Because there's currents, there's wind, there's waves, there's all kinds of factors that will bring us off course. And even if it's only by a degree or two or three, over the course of 2,600 miles, man, you can miss the islands completely. You can end up in the Fritz Frigate uh, Shoals, a few hundred miles north of the, of the Honolulu chain. And there's been dozens and dozens of, of ships that have gone down on, the, on that atoll, that, uh, and underneath it there's this massive reef that just sits in some places four or five feet under the water. You can't see it. And if you're off course and you're not checking, man, they'll go right up on those rocks. And they'll sink and they'll die. And Jesus is saying, Jim, constantly be correcting your course. And if I've been going the wrong direction in my attitude, I need to correct course. If I've been going you know, the wrong direction in my attitude according uh, with my sexuality, I need to correct course. If I've been going the wrong direction with my relationship with my wife or my heart for my wife, I need to correct course or with my finances, correct course, parenting, integrity, whatever it may be, there's a correcting of the course. Jesus is saying, man, I want you to change direction, Jim, when you get off, because I do. And I have a hunch I'm not alone because in this journey of life, there's all these cares and distractions, and Jesus has always come back, Jim, because repentance is necessary to stay on the proper trajectory of life. In my marriage, in my family, with my kids, with my grandkids, in the church, I need to constantly be in that place of repentance, correction, it's not a dirty word, it's a lifestyle should just be woven into our life. It shouldn't be something that's this big, huge event every once in a while, but rather understand, man, repentance, it brings health. It brings health to the repenter. It brings health to the church and the family and the workplace and the community. And then he would go on and say, if you don't repent, well, I'm gonna come and remove the lampstand from its place among the churches. Jim, there's there's danger on the horizon if you don't repent. If you don't make corrections as necessary. And man, I am just so thankful. I'm thankful that I can go to Jesus anytime, anywhere, and say, Lord, whew, thank you that I'm forgiven. I am so glad, Lord, that you came and you became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful, Lord, that, that you, you walk through this life with the intent of taking upon the sin of the world. The, the one who knew no sin would become sin there on the cross, and you would do that because, well, the wage of sin is death, and I was under that. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But you would go to the cross, the one who knew no sin, you'd become sin, and the wrath of God was poured out on you. It should have been me, but you were my great substitution, and you died on the cross. My sins were taken care of, and then you rose from the grave. And anyone now who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ is saved, is forgiven, and I can rise every morning and say, I know I'm forgiven. Why? Because my Redeemer lives. I know that I'm in good standing with God because my Redeemer lives. I know that I can be in good relationship with my family because my Redeemer lives. I know that I can love my enemies because my Redeemer lives. And that's what we celebrate. As we rally together, that's what we celebrate as we come to the table of the Lord. That's what we celebrate, that Lord, I am so grateful for what you've done for us. And so, Father, we pause right now as we just continue to worship you in prayer and even as we come to your table. We're just so thankful, Lord, that that we're in good standing with you. You're not mad at us. You're not disappointed in us. You're not angry with us. You're applauding us. You're commending us, saying, good job, press on, keep going. Lord, you're just a good father that way. But Lord, also, you're a good father in saying, be careful of the dangers. Continue to come back. Continue to to direct your course or redirect your course. And so, Lord, we bless you, and we love you, and we praise you, And we're honored, Lord, to be adopted by you and called by your name. We are just the richest of all people to know, Lord, that our Redeemer, he lives. And so we bless you and we praise you and we thank you for loving us, Lord, the way that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.